Hello guys, David Both here. Well, another beautiful day here in Alabama. Hoping you're having a wonderful day. I'd like to share a few things with you today about uh, the New Testament. You know, I've been telling my friend Joshua that I really would like to spend some time and translate the scriptures because I'm absolutely certain, and I'm going to show you some evidence here, that the English language, I'm sure French and Spanish and all the languages that we have today, is not actually translating the Bible, but it's actually veiling it and keeping us in the dark. Now, today we have these Gospels that we dug up in 1945 called the Nag Hammadi Library and, and they're called Gnostic Gospels. And people are of the impression that they're different than our New Testament. That somehow or another they call them Gnostic because they're of some cult called Gnostics. But these other scriptures that we have we call the Bible or the New Testament, that's not. That's from the Apostles. But what I want to show you today is that if you translated the New Testament correctly, it would read almost like the Gnostic Gospels. All the familiar words like pleroma or the fullness or the archons or Sophia, in fact, the mother, the divine mother, is in the New Testament. But you don't ever notice it. Let me show you a couple of things. In uh, Luke 7.35, it says that Sophia is justified by all her children. Well, now, we read that in our Bible, very respectably. They've translated, and all the translations follow suit. They don't put Sophia. They put wisdom. Because the name Sophia means wisdom. So, wherever the word Jesus is in our New Testament, would we just translate it Savior? Because that's what it means. I mean, David means the beloved. Do we Should we just put the beloved? You see, if it's wisdom, it wouldn't have children. Sophia is a woman, so she has children. You say, no, 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 Dave, of course not. That's just a this personification of wisdom. Well, maybe that's the way they've told us to kind of cover it up. Because this is all the way through. Through we, We've talked a lot about uh, Proverbs chapter 8. It's all the way through. It specifically gives her certain attributes that we can see in the New Testament is literally very, very important. But, but it, you have to understand, in Proverbs, where it's talking about this Sophia, it does not claim that this Sophia is the Father or the Divine Father who was there in the beginning that we all believe is this well today we just think of it as this one person this old bearded man he was all by himself right but yet in the new testament we have in john 1 1 in the beginning was the word and the word was beside or with the father i say beside because it's a distinct word it doesn't mean uh he was personified, you know, 
like within the mind of the divine being. Like the divine being was was the only one there and this he had wisdom with him in his own mind. But no, no, it speaks of it. Now you could say, well, it's personifying it. But now if you start saying that this word that we translate the word, if the logos, if you start saying that's just a personification of, of something, some attribute of the, the divine being, well, then how is it that it became flesh and incarnated and dwelt among us? And we beheld his glory, the glory of that of the only begotten of the Father. So it's not the Father, but it's begotten of the Father. And the exact same thing we find to be true in Proverbs 8 of wisdom. She's the architect. She was beside the Father. She was with the Father. And, and, and the things that she was fond of was the sons of men. And she calls the children of men her children. So we know about that. Most churches, even Jehovah's Witnesses, when I was a Jehovah's Witness, they taught us about that. But they said, oh, it was a personification of wisdom. It's not really a person. And, and that made sense. So I, I believe that. But here's the problem. We've got a whole school of thought called Gnosticism. We call it that. I don't think they call themselves Gnostics. Nobody said, oh, hey, let's go to the Gnostic church. There's a building over there. There's a, a sign above the door. It says Gnostic, right? That's our cult. Just like in the Bible, it says there were those who, who followed the way. Do you think they had churches called the way? And up above the door, they had a sign, a placard saying the hall, the way hall. Like, you know, the kingdom hall or the Masonic hall where they had a, they had a way hall. I don't think so. You see, they described their belief system, what they were, as the way. And it was also the truth. And it was also the lies. But I want to show you a few verses. There's quite a few places in the Bible that have Sophia. And it's just translated wisdom. And it makes you believe, again, like, we're always told there's some kind of personification of the divine being. Not just in Proverbs, it's in the New Testament. Several times. It says in uh, Matthew eleven nineteen, the Son of Man came eating and drinking and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet, Sophia is justified by her deeds. Okay. It's a feminine word. It's a she. Her deeds. She has deeds and actions. So it's either the word wisdom that's just, it's, it's an anthropomorphic parable about wisdom. But yet it's not just some little poem. It's all the way through the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's constantly giving this word wisdom some kind of an identity as a female, and she's got children. And she's also very wise. And in 1 Corinthians one twenty four, it says, But to those who are called both Judeans and Greeks, Christ is the power of the Divine One and the Sophia of Deity. Now, the way they've got that translated, it sounds like Jesus is the power of the Divine One and he is the wisdom of the divine one. But let me show you that in the Greek. So in the Greek, 1 Corinthians one twenty four, it says, To them, however, 
the called Judeans, both and Greeks, Christon, Christ, of God, the power, and of God, the wisdom. Notice there's a definite article in front of wisdom. See, we don't put a definite article in front of just the word wisdom. You put a definitive article. Like, for instance, the witnesses are always saying, well, John 1.1 is not a real person. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with the God, and the word was just a God. There was no definitive article. If it had said, even the witnesses will admit, if it said it, he was the God, then, then they'd have a problem, right? Of course, that's not true. But it certainly, if, if you have the definitive article, it certainly proves that there is something that is like a person there, not just some, some personification of it. So here we have the Sophia. Now, you say, yeah, but it's the Sophia of God, right? It's, it's some sort of, it's God's wisdom. Well, you wouldn't say God's the wisdom. It wouldn't make sense because this deity here happens to be Sophia. So it's not saying the wisdom of the divine being, the father. It's saying the wisdom or the Sophia who is the divine being. Because look at, not only is it the definitive article with wisdom, but it's also with the word power. So this word power has the definitive article. We get this of Christ and of the divine, the power and of the divine, the wisdom. So it's like there is a trinity there. There is the wisdom, Sophia, feminine, which is divine. There is this power, the power, which is like a title, which is divine. And then we also have Christ. So now let's read that back. And it will make perfect sense now. So it says, For those who are the called of both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the Sophia of God. So, the power with a definitive article is a title of this God, the fullness, and it has, well, we call it the Trinity, but in reality, we should be calling it the Pleroma of the Divine One. There are many of these variables or they're called the, we're going to find out it's 144,000, the body that the whole divine Godhead dwelleth bodily in is the entire body of many members, Christ being the head. So it is of Christ, the power, that's his title there. He is the power of the divine one, Christ is and the mother Sophia of the divine one. It comes from both of them. Notice 1 Corinthians, well, this is just a few verses later. In verse 30, it says, Out of him, however, you are in Christ Jesus, who has been made Sophia. Now, if you translate it that way, it sounds like Jesus was made to be Sophia. Sophia is feminine, Jesus is male. How could that be? Well, it's that word, 
if you see there, it's 1096. And that word means, it can mean to be born. Or it's to come into being. It doesn't, it's not just a normal word that where you say, um, to make it or create it. But it means to be born, to come into being. So, Christ Jesus came into being from the Sophia. Well, let me show you that. So, if I just speak it the way it's worded there, sometimes some of their words come before a word that in our language it would come after, right? So, the subject is first, Sophia. What is Sophia? It's divine, it's the divine being. And Jesus has been born unto us from the divine being, Sophia. That's really what it's saying there. So, now let me show you again. Here's Ephesians chapter 3. This is very important for several reasons, not just that it speaks of our divine mother, Sophia. It says, so that should be made known now to the rulers and the authorities. What is that word rulers? Archaeus. That's the archons. Again, if it was translated correctly, it would sound like you're reading a book from the Gnostics. Because it really is Gnostic. The Gnostic Gospels, so-called, are the same as our Gospels. They all use these words. The word pleroma is a Gnostic teaching, and yet Paul and the other apostles use it, It's I think, 17 times. They use the word pleroma in the New Testament. And so, this word archon is used over and over again as, not just as, you know, basic principles like the Christians want you to think. But it talks about it as though they are the divine rulers that Jesus, when he went to hell, had to overcome and conquer. The principalities and powers. Who are these principalities that, that dwell in hell and rule over the world? They are the archons. This is a Gnostic thing. As I've said many times before, the New Testament says this means eternal life taking in gnosis. But they don't translate it gnosis. They just put knowledge. Even though there's another word in the New Testament that you could translate just regular knowledge. But this is self-knowledge. This is esoteric teachings from the Gnostic schools, the Coptic church from Egypt, and the mystery schools that was all around the world. Originating from Bethel and being taught to all the ten tribes that then were lost and spread into the world and made their particular teachings there, like Buddhism and Hinduism and and all the various religions. So here we have to the archons and the authorities in the heavenly realms through the church, the manifold Sophia of deity. So again, they make it sound like it's the father, it's his wisdom. But if the father is male, why is his wisdom female? Why is it personified? You wouldn't say the manifold, the wisdom. But notice there, um, right where it says 3588 Tau. Tau is the definitive article. So it is the Sophia. So the divine being being a trinity, this is that part of the divine being that is the Sophia. So the Bible uses this this particular 
word, Sophia, as a feminine gender word for the divine being with a definite article. Now, let me show you something else. You look here, this word pleroma. It's Koine Greek and literally means fullness. Remember, you probably, I don't know if you're, if you're familiar with the New Testament, you'll probably, your mind will think back on how Jesus has the fullness of the divine deity head in him bodily. Now, this is very interesting because most Christians today have never even considered what I'm about to share with you. Because what is the fullness? You could say that the fullness of the divine deity is all the powers that we just mentioned, the power of deity, and all the wisdom. But in that ancient time when the Bible was written, remember, there were lots of people running around these mystery schools. They understood what these words meant. You know, they didn't just throw these words around not knowing the culture that they lived in. If the Apostle Paul is going to use this word pleroma specifically and archons, then he was speaking directly of the demonic forces that run the world. And when he spoke of the word pleroma, he knew what it meant. The pleroma was the fullness of the divine deity. And it was not just one male figure. It was the male and the female and all of the children, the Elohim. And those attributes like numus and phenomia, you know, in English they would say afterthought, forethought, mind, love, goodness. All of these attributes were the fullness of the divine being. And each of these attributes were considered deities. Now, as we've said many, many times, in the beginning, the divine being who dwells in all the universe has all of the attributes, feminine, masculine, love, kindness, goodness, but there is no darkness at all in that pleroma. It's the pleroma of the light. And this is... This is a Gnostic doctrinal statement that Jesus had the fullness in him. So Jesus didn't just have a divine nature like his own father, but the father himself was in him and bodily. But not just the father, the mother was in him bodily and all of the other attributes. So, Literally, the fullness generally refers to the totality of divine powers that should read all the divine beings. It is used in Christian theological contexts, especially in Gnosticism. The term also appears in the epistle to the Colossians, which is traditionally attributed to Paul the Apostle. The word is used 17 times in the New Testament. It may emphasize totally in contrast to its constituent parts or fullness in contrast to emptiness. Kinoma would be just nothing or emptiness. So Jesus didn't have nothing, right? He wasn't just a man. That would that would basically be a devoid of all divine power if you thought of human beings as absolutely not divine. Then if Jesus was just a man, he did not have any part of the divine in him. But you see, many Christians believe that Jesus was only half divine. 
And yet the Bible says that the entire fullness of the divinity dwells in him. And that means even the father and the mother and all of the sons of the divine being and all those div divine beings that we, that we read about, you know, uh, Anu and Ki and Osiris and all of these divine beings were in Jesus. But now, be careful because this is where people like Aleister Crowley and the Dark Ones go crazy and they lose their way and wander off the path and become apostate. Because it says the Pleroma dwelleth in Christ. And that is the light, all of the variables of the divine. No evil spirit, no darkness, no, not Satan. Because Yahweh created his entire, an, another world. And he's got his own archons and, and, and principalities and dominions. And those beings, the demons, Jesus defeated in hell. So he was not filled with demons. He was not, he's not both God and Satan. Okay. Some people will say, oh, well, the devil's one of the deities too. No, the devil fell. These are the demonic beings. And that's not part of the fullness that dwelleth in Christ. So let me, let me show you this verse. So Philippians 2, 7 says, but he emptied himself. This is Jesus taking the form of a slave being born in human likeness. What is that? What is that saying? He emptied himself. He certainly had pre-existence. And to become a human, he emptied himself. So he was far above humanity before he came here. He had the fullness, but he had to empty himself. That's that word empty, kenoma. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Therefore, the divine one, right, that was all of it, all of the divineness was in him, right? But when he came to the earth and he became a man, he emptied himself. So that's why he could speak and pray to his father that he said was in him. Because he didn't, when he looked up into the heaven, he was, he was basically explaining that as a conscious moral being, we have to look up to our higher consciousness to speak with that or within ourselves because the divine being is within us. And so if there, therefore the divine being also highly exalted him. Now Jehovah's Witnesses are very uh, keen on pointing out that Jesus couldn't be the divine being because it was the divine being that exalted him. But where they get this exaltation, they take it out of context because we just read. He was already the fullness of that divine being and he emptied himself of it. And he just, he, he, he became flesh. The divine word that was with the Father that was God himself, that all things were created through him, by him, and for him, emptied himself and we beheld the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And the world could not understand him or they did not know him. But he knew them. He knew them all. And he even knew their hearts because within him, he had communication, contact with that part of himself that was in him because he says, my father is in me and I am in my father. And he told them that if you've seen him, you've seen the father. 
because he was the exact representation of his very being. What he was saying is that as a conscious being, he embodied all the powerful fullness or the pleroma of all the divine qualities. And so while he was a mortal, his divine nature that he emptied himself of, because it used to be him, but he had to empty himself of it, that divine nature exalted him and gave him the name that is above every other name. Why did he do that? Because this one conscious being named Jesus, this man, was the one who was given a name that is greater than any other human. Because there wasn't a real Jesus. Just as there's a real David Vos and there's a real you and, and everybody's got a real conscious being, an identity. But this divine being that dwells in all the universe and has all the attributes of whatever it is that makes it that divine being is in every one of us within us. So that the name of Jesus, every knee, see, we, it, Jesus himself, the man, not the divine being, of course we bow our knee to the heavenly father and our divine mother. Right? And if there were many gods, then we would bow our knee to all of them, right? If they are truly divine beings, sons of our Heavenly Father, like the angels. Wouldn't you obey angels? But we're not talking about bowing our knee or confessing angels. We're talking about, these are powerful, divine-like beings. I mean, Michael means the one who was like L, Mike L. The one who was just like L. So he was a divine being. Jesus wasn't a divine being. He emptied himself and found himself in the form of a slave. But that slave, that conscious being we call Jesus, a specific person who lived uh, 2,000 years ago, that is the person that every knee should bend to. He was That was the, the conscious being that was exalted to a position above all the other conscious beings. Yes, even though all of us have that divine being within us and we're connected and we have access to his throne and we're all the temple, the body of this divine being. But Jesus is the head, you see. And the head organizes and, 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 and guides the entire rest of the body. And so it's in Jesus that every knee should bend in heaven and upon earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Divine Father. So, let me read to you here in Ephesians. Ephesians 1, starting with verse 15. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. Not just a man, this is the Lord. And your love toward all the saints. Let me reiterate here. As a man, he emptied himself. Right? He was a, just a human. He was a slave like all of us. But he was exalted as that man to be the head of the entire body that the divine being will dwell in bodily. And so the entire fullness of the pleroma of all the divine characteristics of the divine being and all the children of the divine being and the angels, the mother and the father and every facet, the entire deity head not just the father but the whole divine godhead 
was in Jesus Christ. And it says, I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the divine being of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. So it's talking about mind. Spirit is something you can't see, but it's very powerful. It controls the flesh. Mind, the will, controls the physical. And so we're supposed to have the mind of wisdom or of our mother, Sophia, who gives us revelation. It says, so that the eyes of your heart can be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which you were called, the riches of the glorious inheritance among the saints. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe, according to the working of his great power, that the divine one put his power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Those of you like Santos Bonazzi or whoever you may be, Jeffrey Dockery, pay close attention. This is the scriptures that all the scriptures, you can't believe in deities if you don't understand that the deities of ancient times, all of their works and deeds are written in the stars. And the one who will come, who is the Christ, was destined to be Jesus Christ. It was prophesied. He was declared the Messiah by the three wise men, the astrologers who wrote, who read it in the stars. And so the divine one put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. He's far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. If you don't accept his rule and power and dominion, you're a fool. Well, if you don't know anything about it, then you probably wouldn't know anything about it. You've got to hear the gospel before you can receive it. But if you've heard the gospel and you yet don't understand it, it's because you're being deceived by the devil who has mistranslated this. And most Christians have not understood it. Unless you understand the divine nature of Christ, you don't understand the gospel. And so he's far above all rules in the dominion and he's above every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church. Which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. His body is the fullness. And what is that fullness? It is all the attributes which today we think are personifications of the divine nature. But they are the children of the divine father and mother. Those are the, that's the pleroma. All these little, all the 72 names of the divine being. And ultimately, the Bible is telling us there are 144,000 of these beings that make up the fullness of his body. At this time, you know, it's expanding and at the end of the thousand years, others will be adopted into that family. And we'll go into higher dimensions and, you know, and, and our mind will be blown away at the new things that will be revealed as we 
go towards that unapproachable light and grow in grace and in faith and from glory unto glory, even as is done by the Lord. But at this time, what is yet to be revealed is the fullness of his body. So when Jesus died, spiritually, all those beings, the authority and the headship was in Jesus. But his brothers and sisters, his, you know, like James, Paul, Mary Magdalene, all of these individuals were part of this fullness. The pleroma of the divine beings. So, take a look at Colossians 2, starting with verse 1. For I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. I want their hearts to be encouraged and united in love so that they may have all the riches of assured understanding and that they may have the gnosis of the divine mystery. What are you talking about? Paul, mystery? What kind of a mystery? The secrets, the mysteries written in the temple walls, in the hieroglyphs, the holy writings that was not yet made known to the sons of men, but is now made known by the apostles and prophets by the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, I want their hearts to be encouraged and united in love. They may have the knowledge of the mystery, that is, Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. What could that mean? What are we talking about? We're talking about the pleroma. This is a, these are Gnostic words, right? This isn't modern Christian lingo. This isn't Jehovah's Witness lingo. This is the truth the true lingo. These words mean something. And it says that Christ himself, there is a great mystery. That we need to have this understanding, this gnosis. And it is it is the mystery of the divine being. What does that mean? Well, we got to partake of knowledge and we might become like the divine being and live forever. And it is Christ himself in Christ, Jesus, remember it said the fullness dwelleth bodily. Well, in Christ is hidden all of the treasures of Sophia. Why would they be the treasures of Sophia? Because Sophia is our mother. And all of the treasures and all of the children, or the, the rest of the children, the Pleroma, dwelleth in her. And they came from her. And all of the other children are in that one child, Christ, that came from our divine mother and father. And so all of these beautiful, this fullness, this pleroma, dwelleth in Christ, but came out from the father and mother. Because the father and mother are the two sides of the whole. And everyone's in and from the divine mother. And we're all in Christ because Christ is the firstborn among many brethren and we all follow along in his same pattern and in his DNA as an Adam all die and Christ will all be made alive. This is real, friends. This isn't personification. There are these immortal divine beings that have now incarnated on the earth, emptied themselves, you and I, the church, and we are the fullness of his body. So he says, I am saying this so that 
no one may deceive you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit. And I rejoice to see your moral and firmness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore received of Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the human tradition, like Jehovah's Witnesses or modern Christians who do not understand the words of these inspired mysteries revealed to us by the apostles who told us and revealed to us this man, Jesus Christ, who by means of him, we all have life. Now, it says down here, verse 17, these are only a shadow of what is to come. What? Do not let anyone condemn you in matters of food, drink, and observing festivals, new moons, or Sabbaths. You know, all of that stuff in the covenant of Moses, all these laws. He says, don't let anybody condemn you or question you about that. Because these are only a shadow of what is to come. But the substance belongs to the Christ. Do not let anyone disqualify you, insisting on self-abasement and the worship of angels. Now, why does he say the worship of angels? Because the head of the body is Christ. And if any angel comes and teaches anything out of joint or speaks without the authority of Christ, in succession of Christ, or was sent by Jesus, then they are in rebellion. They are apostates. We must only worship the divine being who was in Christ, appointed by our Heavenly Father, exalted above all the angels, and we listen only to Him and all of His messengers and angels that speak on behalf of Him. But when anybody tells you anything that's wrong, you do like Jesus and say, get thee behind me, Satan. We don't listen to Satan or his demons. And any angel who would contradict the Lord would be a demon. But some people having visions or they're puffed up without cause by human way of thinking and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows with a growth that is from the divine being. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits, what are the elemental spirits? Did you know that the Bible speaks of these elemental spirits? These are the angels, the worship, these, these fallen angels, these elemental spirits, these archons. You see, many of our Bible translations just use the word elementary things. But this was a specific word known to the times in which Jesus lived. In that era. And they understood these words, these elementals. They were these powers broken up into different divisions, the chief of which were the archons that in our Bibles translated principalities. So here is these elemental spirits of the universe. Why do you live as if you still belong to the world? See, you're, you're, you're led along by these demonic forces in this world, depression and anxiousness and, and anger and, and hate and jealousy. And, and why do you submit yourself to regulations or laws? 
same word, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. All these regulations refer to things that perish with the use. They are simply human commands and teachings. They are not the teachings of our Heavenly Father. He's talking about festivals and Sabbaths and new moons. He's talking about the commandments of Yahweh. Now he says they're the, 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 the teachings of men. Well, he also says they're the teachings of angels. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom. They look like they're wise, but our mother is not the author of this. Go to Proverbs chapter 8. She never asked you to keep the law of Moses. In Proverbs chapter 8, she says, I am Sophia. Keep my ways and love one another and, and, and listen to my words. But I am inside you. I will teach you all things you need to know. Jesus said, I'll send you the divine Holy Mother, the Holy Spirit. She will teach you all things you need to know in the hour in which you need to know it. You don't need a man to teach you. So, they have an appearance of this wisdom in promoting self-imposed piety, humility, and severe treatment of the body, but they are of no value in checking self-indulgence. So you see people that are sitting around in yogi positions, beating their head up against the wall, um, you know, slashing themselves. Baal worshippers used to do that. They'd slash their body and cut themselves and beat their head fasting and not they they're not fasting to gain control of the body but they think that somehow by imposing these laws upon themselves and you know laws that mean nothing commandments of men we don't follow laws no we follow wisdom we add to our faith knowledge and virtue because laws of no value, he says. I want to read you this. It says, In Gnosticism, the use becomes yet more stereotyped and technical, though its applications are still very viable. So notice this. Here is a guy named Serenthus, and he lived like between 50 and 100 AD. So he was contemporary with the apostles, and he was a Gnostic, or what they call a Gnostic. It says, Serenthius expressed this fullness of the divine life out of which the divine Christ descended upon the man, Jesus, at his baptism and into which he returned. In the Valentinian system, now Valentinius is, it was a, a, a disciple of Paul, a, a, a Gnostic, who lost by a couple of votes to becoming the Bishop of Rome. In the Valentinian system, it stands in antithesis to the essential, incomprehensible Godhead as the circle of divine attributes, the various means by which God reveals himself. It is the totality of the 30 aeons or the emanations which proceed from the divine being but are separated alike from him and from the material universe. It is at times almost localized so that a thing is spoken of as within, without, and above, and below. You notice that the Apostle Paul says that we believe in the divine being, our Father, who is in all, through all, and above all. See, we're talking Gnostic definitions. And so it's within, without, above, and below the pleroma, which is the fullness. More often, it is the spirit world, the archetypal ideal existence in the invisible heavens in contrast to the imperfect phenomenal manifestations of that ideal in the universe. Thus, the whole pleroma of the aeons these ages each have a divine being that rules over them. So it was 
not just ages or aeons, but it was it was the evolving and manifesting variables of the Pleroma, and all of them were manifest in Jesus. And it contributes each its own excellence to the historic Jesus. And he appeared on earth as the perfect beauty and star of the Pleroma. Similarly, it was used by writers as equivalent to the full completeness of perfect knowledge, the Pistis Sophia. She is the perfect knowledge, the divine wisdom. She is the divine wisdom because she is part of the divine Godhead. So, some confess that the Father of all contains all things and that there is nothing whatsoever outside of the Pleroma. For it is an absolute necessity that if there be anything outside of it, it should be bounded and circumscribed by something greater than itself. And that they speak of what is without and what within in reference to knowledge and ignorance and not with respect to local distance, but that in the Pleroma or in those things which are contained by the Father, the whole creation which we know to have been formed, having been made by the Demiurge, or by the angels. See, the physical world that we see, that we're not supposed to be a part of this world, this cosmos, the cosmetic world, the physical, the outer, that was made by the Demiurge, or the angels that fell. And that was known as Yahweh. And this is what the Bible is. So we're not making this up. There's the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The Old Covenant is the creation of this world by this lower ego. And it's contained by the unspeakable greatness as the center is in a circle or as a spot is on a garment. So all this physical vast universe is nothing but like a spot or a stain on the pure white garments of reality. And that pure white infinite glory, the entire fullness was bodily dwelling in Jesus Christ as the head. But now, here's what you have to understand. We're members of that body. And even if you were just a toe on that body, the head cannot say unto the toe, I don't have any need of thee, the Apostle Paul says. We're all full of the divine fullness. All of us. You see, we're connected. The toe is connected to the head. And we work in unison and in harmony. And we are of the divine. We are so much higher than this physical realm. We will say unto that mountain, be moved, and it shall be moved. Again, each separate aeon is called a pleroma in contrast to its earthly imperfect counterpart. So that in this sense, the plural can be used. Pleromata. And even each individual has his or her pleroma or spiritual counterpart. <clears throat> if thus express the various thoughts which we should express by the Godhead, the ideal heaven, and it is probably owing to this ambiguity as well to, as to its heretical associations that the word dropped out of Christian theology. No, it was dropped from Christian theology because they don't want you to understand who you are. It's summed up by Jesus himself who said, Ye are Elohim. The scripture cannot be broken. And you will do greater works than I. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. And ye are in 
me, and we are all one. This oneness isn't just, you know, hey, we're one with this guy named Jesus, you know, kind of like a little, a dirty speck on his garment. But no, we are one with him in his divine nature. And this divine fullness that dwells in Jesus also dwells in us. So, guys, in conclusion, there's several points that I wanted to make today. I think the first point is that our Bible is a Gnostic document. And we are seekers of Gnosis. And we are the body of the divine. And this is so important to understand. But the details of this has not been understood for a long time. And many individuals who want to be teachers have gone forth and made huge problems for the world. And there are certain individuals who, with pride, go forth and try to declare themselves someone. They're, they're so smart. People began to say, wow, you're smart, and it just feeds their ego. And they're like, yeah, I'm the greatest and I've got this by my own skills and my own smarts. You know, they may talk about it like it's spirit or anything, or but they're lying to themselves. They're trying to fake it and they're leading the world astray. Some people like Aleister Crowley probably literally knew he didn't know anything or maybe he did. But where they usually err, and this is something that I been pointing out, and I only point this out for those of you who are like astrotheologists or something, if you know what I mean, that you need to be very careful. Or individuals like Jeffrey Daughtry, who is really saying he, he believes in the Lord, but he just doesn't believe in the Lord Jesus. It is very foolish to think you know, and in your pride, you're so antagonistic to the Lord Jesus when you don't understand what you're talking about. Because we have nothing if we do not have the truth. And the truth is in the ancient scriptures. They don't contradict each other. All the nations have the same truth, except for this one group, the Judeans, which is the same esoteric wisdom, but it's veiled in the law. And for those who read and pray when they read, those who are sincere and humble, and get down on their knees and seek the Lord with every fiber of their being. He will answer and give you the wisdom that comes only from the Heavenly Father through our Divine Mother and Jesus Christ. If you do not have the Holy Spirit, you cannot understand these things. And you must be very careful if you think you're a teacher and you have not yet gotten on your knees and sought the Holy Spirit. So, I'm going to go ahead and go, guys. Um, hope you guys have a really wonderful evening. And hope you're going to have a, a wonderful Christmas time. And may the Lord bless you. And we'll see you tomorrow. Have a good one.